0: Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk.
1: So I've been asked to talk a bit about Psalm 23 today. So I almost wasn't going to do this though. Um, The first time I went Jay gave me a phone call and said, I want you to preach for the youth service. I had many thoughts that immediately ran through my head. The biggest and most bold one of them was, not a chance. There's no way I'm going to get in front of this entire congregation and spout off about Psalm 23. And here I am. But what? the reason I didn't do it is because, well, didn't want to do it, is because I thought, why on earth would God want me to do that? I didn't trust in God enough to use me no matter what, which will become uh, very ironic later on in the talk. Anyway, so let's read the psalm. It's Psalm 23, and I'm going to start by reading the King James Version. So, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth my path in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Ye, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Talks a lot about sheep in the Bible. Do we have any guesses how many times it actually mentions sheep? Just shout some numbers. Any more? A bit more? It's it's actually more than five hundred times, which is it's a bit it's a bit odd. I I think it's probably got something to do with like the heavy agricultural culture at the time. But I think a bigger and more important reason is how perfectly that relationship between God and man is reflected in the relationship between sheep and shepherd. For example, sheep can't right themselves if they get stuck on their backs. Sheep don't naturally shed, so if a shepherd didn't come along and shear them, they'd end up looking like this, which is... And I know I can feel like that sometimes, but... <laughs> and if a sheep falls in water, its wool absorbs so much that they become so heavy that they can't get out by themselves. Put simply, sheep are completely dependent on the shepherd for provision, guidance, and protection, and so they follow him. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds really familiar. But establishing that relationship between God and man isn't the only thing that this psalm does. That's just one microcosm, which just means a small detail. And it's the opposite of the macrocosm, which just means the big picture. I'll come back to that in a little bit. So another macrocosm, microcosm, sorry, of what this verse talks about comes in verses two and three, which in the NIV read, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Now, the big thing I notice in that passage is the constant movement that it talks about apart from, oddly, the first bit, lying down in green pastures. Now, what, what do we think about when we think of green pastures? Because I think we think about something like that, don't we? Just beautiful, big green fields with little stony walls going in between them, covered in trees and grass. It's beautiful, isn't it? But we've got to remember that this isn't written about England, is it? It's written about Israel. And the green pastures in Israel are this. Now, when I first thought that, I thought I'd gone color Where's the green? Where's the little stone walls? Where's the moss? Now, the reason those are called green pastures is because it rains, not very much, but just enough. And then, that little bit of rain, it rolls down the sides of the hills and gets caught in little rocky outcrops. Just enough water to grow this, a little tuft of grass doesn't seem like much, but it's just enough. Just enough for a sheep to get a mouthful. And then there's just enough mouthfuls along the side of the hill to maintain the flock. Now, that changes the picture a lot of this passage, doesn't it? It's very reminiscent of when God led the Israelites through the desert and provided manna with them day by day. The sheep must keep pushing forwards and eating the mouthfuls that they pass. It's very poetic and it really changes the picture of the psalm it doesn't say that God gives us all we want it says that God gives us all we need so we don't have to want I'm going to say that again because I'm proper proud of writing that line but (laughs) it said God doesn't give us all we want God gives us all we need so we don't have to want that is amazing from what I think anyway Yeah, yeah, it's a good joke. It's pretty great, isn't it? That's proper good. Now, the third and final microcosm that I'm going to talk about is how God protects us, even in the dark and hard times, even when in the shadow of the valley of death and in the presence of our enemies. Now, I know it might seem somewhat cheesy and cliché to bring up this poem, but it's a poem you'll all know and you'll all love, and you'll all have heard a thousand times by now. Most of you have probably got it up on a wall somewhere on your landing. But it's the it's Footprints poem, and I, feel, I just want to read it because I feel it perfectly just says what I want to say about this passage. One night, I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during my saddest and most troubled times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. God protects us, his flock, from the powers which want to work against us. He supports us in our darkest times and carries us ever onwards. That really resonates with me, because for those of you who were here for my testimony the other week will know, I've been through some dark times in my life, and I felt like God wasn't with me. And hearing that, that even though I thought God wasn't with me, even though I was in the shadow of the valley of death, God was there with me and he was carrying me forwards. It's incredible. Not only that, but knowing we are protected. God doesn't protect us just from ourselves and from others. I mean, he gives us the Bible, his actual word to read from, and he gives us laws, not so we can look at them and throw them at other people to persecute them, but so we can look at them and take a look at ourselves and live better for them. It's incredible. He does so much to protect us. So, I've talked about these microcosms through the verse, but what's the microcosm? What is the big picture? Let's have a look at the pieces then. We, as sheep, are completely dependent on the shepherd. God, as the shepherd, always leads us forwards, and even through our dark days, he still prepares a feast for us. Now, it's clearly about this. We need to invite sheep into our houses to have just great feasts at... (laughs) Sorry, I've I've muddled up my notes. Uh, Let me just... Sorry. Um, No, it's the psalm's painting a clear photo of that relentless love that Jesus has for us. A love that pursues us forever. Not today and tomorrow, not yesterday and the day before, forever. A love that, if we let it, leads us forward to do greater things for God. Now, I know it doesn't always seem easy to trust in God. Like I was saying earlier, I quite often can't. But once we do, we can keep walking forwards with him, following his lead and doing greater things for him. It would be naive of me to say how, just to say, oh, it's easy to do that. But we've got to remember that even if we don't think we should trust him, that God has always got our best interests at heart wants to prosper is not to harm us. That doesn't mean that he's going to give us everything we want, but it means he doesn't want to do us bad. Now, I don't know about you, but my world is really changing at the moment. I've left school, and I'm going on to an exciting year out of the message to chase God. I'm not, but It's not just my life which is changing. This church is changing. We're getting a new pastor, which is exciting. But again, it's also scary. This country changing as we get a new prime minister. And just yesterday, there was protests in Brazil, I think it was, about climate change. And it's just really scary how much our world is changing at the moment. And we need to take a look at that. And we need to let God lead us through that. Not just let them chase us down. You see... It's all very easy to talk about God's love as this big concept, but there's a physical embodiment of this exact love that God talks about so much. And his name is Jesus. He descended from the heavens in the form of a baby, meek and mild human, not staying away, but chasing us down to where we are. He lived his life, he toiled among us, and then he taught among us, leading us ever forwards, and then he died for us but that's still not the end because then he revealed his divine glory and came back from the grave he came back then he rose into heaven once again leaving behind his holy spirit another embodiment of this love now that that seems like what this psalm is about good and mercy The Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God, that love. I'm going to read back through the psalm now, just so we can reflect back over it. This time it's going to be the NIV. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You unite my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. I'm going to finish by praying for this congregation and this world as we move through all these changes. So if you just want to bow your head and close your eyes. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your son, and thank you for all the things you do to protect us. Thank you that you don't just chase us down and then keep us still, but thank you that you move us ever onwards, despite how scary it can be. Lord, as our world changes and as our lives change, I pray that we can make the right decisions for you. I pray that no matter what happens, you'll be glorified through it, Lord. Amen. Back over to you, James. Thank you very
2: much for that, Aaron. That was really good. Um, So once a year with the youth, we go off for a weekend away at Quinter, where, um, if you don't know, I mean, where have you been? Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, we, we go away and we, um, like, basically, we learn about God and we just have a, a great time and um, have lots of worship and, yeah, it's great fun. But one of the best things for me is when um, we hear the testimonies, te- test- testimonies um, <laughs> of, of, um, of, of the leaders and last year one of our new leaders Amy um, shared her testimony her, t- her story with us <laughs> 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 so um, she's going to do that again with us now so over to Amy well okay.
0: good morning um, I just want to give you a bit of background before we get into sort of the heart of the story. And um, as some of you might be aware, I grew up in a, a household where there was um, people d- didn't believe in God. Uh, they didn't really believe in anything. And they would definitely consider themselves to be atheists. So I kind of grew up believing in the same thing. Nothing was going to happen after I died. There's no big person in the sky. It was just this is what you've got and you've got to deal with it. Um, That doesn't mean to say that I didn't have a really loving family, Um, my parents are very good, I have a really kind of annoying but loving older brother, I've got great grandparents and all this stuff, it's fantastic, but that was kind of broken when I was three, Um, my parents got divorced, and although it was like an amicable divorce and there's no hard feelings now, it's all like 20 years ago, it's fine, it did leave um, a negative impact on my life at a really young age, it left a little hole that was never going to be filled at varying age. So the way I dealt with this little hole is I tried to control everything. So I went to primary school and I thought, right, this is where I can get control, I can be this person that everyone wants me to be, I can be the teacher's pet, you know, the really annoying one at the front who's like, miss, 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 that was me, the one who I get annoyed now as a teacher, I was that person. I was the one who brought like little treats in for the teacher just to get the praise, them thinking, oh, you're a really cute kid, because like, I gave him a bar of chocolate. That's what I loved. I loved to excel at making people smile and make me feel good. I loved to excel at school. Definitely teacher's pet. I also discovered my absolute obsession with history at a very young age. Good thing, because I'm a history teacher now. It's definitely a very good thing. And I just had this need for control from a very young age in all aspects of my life. So primary school went on, kind of went on teacher's pet, and secondary school comes along, and I still need this, this control. So I went in thinking, great, I can be a teacher's pet again. However, high school is very, very different to primary school. Most of you are aware of this. Very different. And I grew up in Bradford, so it was even more different because there's far more wider influences when you go to high school. There was gang violence. It was a really, really bad culture to be in. And although I still loved school, I still loved to excel and be the teacher's pet, There was a new side of me where I tried to get control and satisfaction, and it was through my behavior. From the age of 12, I was involved in drugs, alcohol, um, promiscuous behavior that is shocking to me now, and it just led me in a spiral. And from that point, I realize now that I suffered with depression from 12. Um, So it was a weird double life I was leading. I was a teacher's pet, but then outside of this really dark, horrible rebel rebellious stage of my life and I was still desperately desperately trying to get control and satisfaction and as in hindsight nothing else is going to fill that apart from one thing didn't know that at that point and um, so it, it carried on until about I was 16 that's when it, it took a real real spiral at the age of 16 I attempted suicide and I'm very thankful that God saved me but this is one of the reasons I'm also really thankful for my family because it was my brother who found me and my brother took me to a and and they, they were amazing and I was saved, and it was incredible. And I thought at that time, this is it, this is a turning point, I can finally not desperately need control, I can finally think, oh look at this blessing I've had, look at this incredible life I've got. And it was like that for a while. I moved from Bradford to and trust me, that is a massive culture shock. I had to change my accent because no one could understand what I was saying because I kept saying rude, and they kept going, what, what do you want about? I was like, I just can't tell how I speak. Um, so I went to Point and Six Form, wonderful place. I met some lovely people. I met my best friend in the whole world who's still my best friend now, even though she thinks I'm a Jesus freak, but she's still my best friend. Um, and it was incredible for a very short amount of time. And that, look, that was like a little jar was filling up with sand. like a, That hole was being filled, and I thought, this is it, this is great. But nothing filled that jar, nothing, no matter what I did. And I still fell into the same trap of that control, of that necessity, obsession with control and trying to find satisfaction. So 6-1 went along, I got good grades, still had my best friend, still had those influences, still did the same stupid things, drugs, alcohol, promiscuous behavior, all this stuff. And it's still a huge impact in my life. And then... When it came to choosing a university, I chose the furthest one I could think of, and it was in Aberystwyth, which is a place not many people can say, let alone spell to find it on Google Maps, so that was fine by me. Um, it's the back end of Wales, beautiful place, if you ever go, gorgeous. But I thought, again, this is it, this is finally another chance to change my life, to to turn over a new leaf and to be a better person and to love myself. So first person I met was a girl called Katie. She lived in my flat, about a metre away from me, just across the hall. Second thing she told me, she was a Christian. And I thought, great, the first friend I've got, and she's a freak. What am I going to do? <laughs> so I kept thinking, right, you've got to keep her around until you find another set of friends. And then in a really bad way, you can kind of ditch her and go with like the cool kids. So that's what, I know, it's terrible. But that's what I was thinking. That's where my brain was going. You need to find your people. And I was chatting with Katie, and it was great. And she invited me to a barbecue that evening. And I thought, oh, yeah, great, I'll find some friends, I'll have a bit of a drink, have a nice time. Yeah, she didn't tell me it was a Christian union barbecue. Trust me, that's awkward, going in with like, a pint of beers and everyone's just there with water and tea, and I'm like, okay, it's not my kind of crowd. The first thing someone said to me there was, do you know Jesus? And I just thought, no. Why would I know this person who didn't ever exist? Why would I? And I, I just, I was really, really thrown by this. I just didn't understand what they were going on about, so I left early and went home. And... I thought, those are not my people. I will never speak to those people again. (laughs) Little did I know. Anyway, so aside from that, there was still that negative influence because university, a lot more people. And you'd think Aberystwyth, nice sleepy town. There's not many bad stuff. Trust me, if you look hard enough, there's loads of bad stuff going on. And I I was trying to find it. I needed that that control and that satisfaction again. And again, I fell into that spiral of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and all this stuff that was just so negative in my life. But I didn't realise at that point that God had given me something incredibly positive. He'd give me Katie. She was really annoying, but I liked her. She kept, oh, it was so annoying. Every single day, she kept inviting me to read the Bible with her. And I was like, no. Every day she would, every Sunday she could come to church, can meet all these people, and I kept going, I'm not going near those freaks. And then she, every Tuesday there was a, an event at Christian Union and she invited me every single week. And I just was like, stop it. I'm not never ever gonna believe in this person that you think is amazing. And so at that point, I thought, right, I've made a decision. I'm going to debunk Christianity. That's what I'm going to do. I can do it, obviously. I'm definitely a better historian than God. I'm definitely a better historian than all these people. There's hundreds of thousands of historians who've proved it all to be true. I was definitely better than them. So every night, we would go to Katie's room. And I would think for the most horrific questions possible. which you know the ones that you don't want to hear as a Christian? Like, why does God allow us, allow suffering? And you're like, oh, I don't really know. But that's, that's the kind of stuff I asked her every single night. Horrible questions meant to trip her up, meant to prove that Jesus wasn't real, meant to prove that God was an untruth. And every single night, the answers that I needed might not have been for everyone else, but the ones that I needed were given to me. And I was just like, this is a coincidence, absolute coincidence. Little did I know that God was speaking through Katie. He was already, that seed was already within me. I was, I was denying it for a long time, but it was there. So they were, again, dual side, I had this nice Christian friend who was telling me all about Jesus. And then the other side, I was like being drug abusive and horrible and not very nice. And one week, one evening, we went out as a flat and I got very, very, very poorly drunk and <sighs> wasn't good. And I did something that I felt such shame over. I'd never done anything like this before. It's really hard for me now to speak about it because I can't think about what I did or why I did it. Um, And this shame, it, it was like a huge weight, like two massive boulders were dragging me down to the floor. And my depression went in a spiral. I was the darkest I'd ever been. I was thinking again, I need this to stop. I have to stop this somehow. And if I'd have carried on with that, if I'd have carried on with that line, I'm certain I wouldn't be alive today. But that was on a Thursday evening, and Katie, as Katie does, she invited me to church on that Sunday. And I thought, right, okay, you've got to give her something. You haven't really been a great friend. Let's give her this one day. I'll go to church and pretend a bit, and then I'll go home, and it'll be fine. And I was in, I was quite hungover, so I didn't think that I'd really get anything from it, apart from a little nap, maybe, at the back. Um, so we went in, again, this weight dragging me to the floor, and the sermon was on forgiveness. And I thought, it's a bit of a coincidence, let's leave it there. And the passage that the pastor said was Romans 3, 23 and 24. And Romans 3, 20, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that I was like, yeah, that makes sense. If this God is so perfect that they're talking about, that they've given their lives to, how on earth could anyone ever reach that standard? If I'm feeling like this, someone else might be. There's no way we can reach this perfect standard. And then the second verse, 24, says, All are freely justified by his grace. And that, it was an arrow straight to my heart. That was the first time that I realized that God was in my life. And it was incredible because I thought, how on earth can this God forgive me? I can't forgive myself. I cannot get rid of my own guilt. I can't get rid of my own self-hatred. How on earth can he do it? And, And at the end of the service, they offered communion. And I remember Katie sat next to me, and she said, right, don't go up until, unless you believe, because this is a symbol of those who believe, saying what, showing what Jesus has done for them. And it was an Anglican church, so it was like you had to go to the front, and there was a bar at the front, and you knelt down. And I said, right, okay, I'm not going to move. So the first few rows went, and they got to our row. And for some reason, my legs decided to move. I was not moving them. Um, it was like a rope was attached around my rib cage and was dragging me to the front, and I couldn't stop it. I went to the front, and I knelt, and I ate the bread, and I drank the wine. And that second that the wine touched my lips, the weight disappeared. Not just the weight that I'd been carrying for three days, the weight I'd been carrying for as long as I could possibly remember. From back to the age of three, that weight had just gone. And I knew at that time that Christ had saved my life. Christ had taken that shame, that guilt, that self-hatred, and he'd taken it on the cross, and he'd saved me. Sorry, (laughs) one second. (laughs) And I don't just want to end my story there um, because it hasn't stopped there. Jesus has led me through so many things and so many difficulties and challenges that on my own I couldn't face I would have I would have been broken as Aaron said, he truly is my shepherd because he's guided me through so much He's not just led me to led me through bad things he's led me to glorious things. He's led me to this church where I found a fellowship that I just can't explain a community that's incredible and so loving. He's led me to lead Expression on Monday Monday nights, which is the um, younger, younger teenage group that I lead, and it's just—it's been a bit annoying sometimes, but an incredible privilege to be part of that and to just really get to know these young people. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Gregor. (laughs) Um, He's led me to have a faith in my job and. Those of you who don't know, I teach in Withenshaw. Trust me, you need faith to teach in Withenshaw because it's so hard sometimes. He's led me, he, I'm still the only Christian in my family and he leads me every day through that. Even though whenever I go to church, my brother says, oh, you're going to your cult again. Here's a chicken to sacrifice. I'm like, okay, thanks. My dad still thinks it's a phase, a six-year phase, but it's. it's he still thinks that. And it's been incredible to get to know God through these times and to see the blessings that he's given me. And just finally, just before I finish, I just want to share something that God has been teaching me recently. Um, Whether it's through my Bible app, and it always comes up with this verse. Whenever I open my notepad, um, at the bottom of my notepad there's little verses, and this always pops up. The weekend away, and I think about ten times in one day, this verse just kept coming at me in different ways. And at that point, I thought, right, you're trying to teach me something here, aren't you? And then I got back to work and my computer had a malfunction and this verse for some reason came up on my screen. I was like, yeah, you're definitely trying to teach me something here. And it is Psalm 46, 10. And it is to be still and know that I am God. And it's just an incredible feeling to know that even I've come through so much, but I've got so much to learn. I still need the control. But He's he tells me that I don't have to need for that control. He's got it. He's in control. And all I've got to do is just be still and know him. And, yeah, that's where I'd like to finish. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.